Singer-songwriter Somalia has been on quite a journey. And with her 2020 release, Never Enough Time, she found ways to capture some timeless R&B energy. In this conversation, we talk about that release, her start in music and getting to know her own voice, and the big ideas for her music. This is Arts and Ideas, and I'm Floyd Hall. Funding for this program is provided by the Fulton County Board of Commissioners. I'm Floyd Hall, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with singer, songwriter, Somalia. Somalia, how you doing? I am doing well. How are you, Floyd? I'm good. So glad to have some time with you today. When I think back to the last time that we saw each other, it feels like it was at a performance. I feel like the last time I saw you, you were on stage. And what I recall about that moment was really enjoying your stage presence. So if you could talk about, for our listeners out there who may not have had a chance to see you yet, um, talk about your artistry and what you bring to the people when you're on the stage doing what you do. I love live performance. I feel as though that's the first sort of introduction I think I had to really music and um, I guess just entertainment in general. I used to watch, like my parents had a uh, store in the mall in New Jersey and I would go to like the, sh- the sneaker store and watch music videos all day long and though you know during that time those videos I probably should not have been watching all of those videos but I think that what it taught me was that you know I would see these women and they would all have this energy that was just contagious they knew how to bring the songs to life and moving on to you know watching Beyonce and uh, watching Janet Jackson and Michael Jackson and you know even a Jill Scott like I just really wanted to be able to show that you know you listen to the record but when you see me on stage you're now you're just you're in it you know and I've always connected with you know artists that when they're on the stage it's a whole nother level it's an experience and so that's what I try to do when I'm uh, live I try to just make people like I just try to bring them into my world and be able to let them hear my different music and also like other covers and songs that I really enjoy performing that you know go with my voice really well and I think it's just it's all about having fun honestly um, I just want to be able to create a world where people feel comfortable and welcome to have fun with me and I think that that um I think it works out for me when I do my shows. I think a lot of people are, you know, they want to figure out what other music I have out and what, you know, where else will I be performing after a show? So it's always my goal to be able to have someone leave and say like, you know, I didn't know who you were before, but now I, I want to find out who you are. I've had the pleasure of watching your musical journey over the last few years and so I'm, I'm always excited to talk to people who I've had a chance to be a, a bit of a witness to their process but I would love for you to 
take us back to the earliest, you know, beginnings of your musical career. When did you first start singing? What was your first favorite song? You know, like we just kind of when did when did this creative path become apparent for you? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so I I sort of started off by writing poetry when I was in elementary school and. My teacher told my mom, you know, she said, I don't know what type of writer she's going to be, but she's definitely like a poet and she's a writer. And I was like, I don't know, but I just kept doing it. And um, I would randomly sometimes get like, I guess, song lines in my head. Like I would just hear, um, I guess certain words would just come to me and then I would also hear a beat to it. So I would just continue to write those down with the poems in my little journal. And then my grandmother sort of discovered that I could sing. And my mom was listening to me and she was trying to decide to, you know, she was like, maybe with some vocal coaching, I could see it. And so, but just having that, I guess, sort of push and that confidence to be able to keep doing it, you know, from my family made me continue to keep singing and keep writing. And so my grandmother was like the first person that put me in a studio and I was in middle school. So I was probably like, 13 uh and I that was the first time recording a song that I had written and it was called what's up and I thought it was the cutest thing ever and I wanted everybody to hear it and they did and I don't know if they enjoyed it <laughs> or not but they kept you know encouraging me to do it and so I just kept writing songs kept singing um I joined chorus uh I was doing musical theater and I, all of this was just the path of just kind of developing my voice and figuring out, you know, what singers do I sing like, you know, because I think certain people may hear your voice and they, you know, they know who they may want you to sound like, but it was really trying to figure out, well, who do I sound like? And what is the, like, what is my comfort sweet spot? So it's definitely been like a journey discovering, you know, what, what my voice is. And even today it's very different and it constantly changes. But I think starting off with poetry helped me to, just kind of get my thoughts together and be able to compose uh, music. Say more about that process of finding your voice. I think that we we oftentimes will hear writers talk about finding their voice as as a writer, but literally as a singer, you know, you're finding and discovering your voice. What is that process like? And I guess what what different approaches are you usually, um, you know, taking on when you're trying to find that sweet spot or what is the the, the, the truest essence of, of what your quote unquote voice sounds like? What is that? What is that like for you? Yes, I think it's it's very much so a lot of trial and error. It's listening to different songs on the radio. It's listening to artists that I really, you know, respect and like, like, like Brandy and Jill Scott and, Erica Badu and Anita Baker. It's just listening to all these different artists and just trying it out. So I would, you know, learn certain songs. Like the first song I think I learned was like, I'm going down by Mary J. Blige. Cause my mom said, you sound like Mary, you kind of give me a Mary vibe. So I learned that. And then I kind of progressed. And then I learned like wishing on a star by Rose Royce. And then I moved from that to um, Monica, like love all over me. So it's almost like these different steps 
in your your vocal journey where you just try to see how far can you go you know what is your range you know are, are you a tenor are you a uh, alto or soprano um it's really figuring out like what what songs um really match your voice in which your it may translate over into your writing um and you may have people that do you know, vocal production and they tell you how to use your voice and, you know, make it sweet for the song. But I think it's really important to be able to know what you want to sound like even before a vocal producer comes in, because you already know that, you know, you know your range, you know um, what songs feel most comfortable to you. And so it was just a lot of just trying different things out. And I think you start to learn like what's not you when you sing that song and it just does, you don't feel anything. Like, I know that, um, I guess kind of with just starting, like I'm going down, like I was in, I guess maybe in middle school and I maybe had some heartbreak, but I hadn't heard, had like my, you know, heartbreak of my life when I was <laughs> singing that song. So I don't really think I could really connect with it that much. Um, but I think when thinking about like, you know, is it the way that you love me? That can be like translated to just feeling love from family members or anybody. So it's just like trying to figure out um, what songs really like connect with your voice um, and, and your messaging and what is it that you want to say in your music. And so in finding my voice, I just had to, you know, just really not be afraid to try it out and, you know, and not and not be afraid to mess up to just be able to see what I can do. I love how you describe that. And it's so funny that you, you talk about finding your voice because I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine um, last week and we were listening to some old Osley brothers. And I think I brought up mm -hmm. this, this notion of, you know, Ron Osley's voice is so distinctive, right? Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I was wondering, when did he realize that he could sing? I was thinking, when did he have that confidence? Because yeah. there aren't that many voices that sound like Ron Isley's voice, right? So exactly. I was like, man, like when he was a younger man, like there weren't that many other voices that sounded like his that he could emulate. I'm just wondering like where he got that confidence from to just like right. say, this is my voice and this is going to be it's, like, it's going to be fine. Like, don't worry, you know? Um, exactly. It probably helps that, you know, he had siblings that also were doing music and they were, you know, in this band together because then you can kind of feed off of other people and they're like, you know, I think this sounds good. And, and you're like, yeah, I think this does sound good. Well, maybe we should just continue to do this. And now we're just going to be, you know, the Isley Brothers. I don't know their whole story, but I'm sure that that, that helps. Like, because I definitely didn't know that I could sing. Like, I... I knew that like with writing, I could eventually maybe progress to doing some type of something in, in music, but I didn't know that I had a voice and it took somebody else to say like, I think if you continue to keep doing it, that it could be something, you know, really unique and strong. I think you make a very good point. I think that having siblings and being in a, a band environment slash family environment it probably does help give you some sense of like assuredness that you can actually mm -hmm. do it. So I, I think that probably does mean a lot and probably does carry a lot of, a lot of weight.
mentioned the word journey a little bit, and I think that's appropriate because the first project of yours that I did here was entitled Journey, um, and that was in 2018. And now, fast forward a couple of years after that, you've put out another project. So I would love for you to talk about your journey <laughs> from <laughs> that first project up until this 2020 project, Risk It All. Yes. So um, with Journey, it was sort of, it just encapsulated basically my experience of, of, of writing and, and trying, it was literally trying to figure out who do I want to be uh, as an as a artist outside of what my family thinks, um, what friends may think. It was really just me with my songbook figuring it out with various producers that, you know, just sort of believed in what I was doing. Uh, and and I'm, I will say, Floyd, I remember when we sat down at Amelie's and you heard my project and you said, you know, I really love how you talk about all these life experiences. And you said, but I want to hear also some really fun songs from you where, you know, it's just kind of loose, great music that you can enjoy. And I think that that's how I came to never enough time. Um, and so I guess to sort of timeline it, it out, it was basically journey was talking about how am I, where am I going and how do I get there? And then never enough time is I'm sitting, I have the moment now, what am I going to do with it? And what do I want to say? Um, and so I, I think journey was a lot of like just real talking about what I had gone through, whether it had been love-wise or, um, matter of fact, lots of things about love. And then also uh, with Say Less, it was talking about like just having that hunger and ambition and, you know, sort of a little bit of fear of like the unknown, but also just that confidence and fire of saying like, I don't care. I, I'm, I'm just going to stop talking about it I'm, and I'm going to do it. Um, so that was journey. And then now never enough time was made during, you know, the pandemic. And there was a lot of things that are, that were going on. Some people say that, you know, some we're going through three different pandemics. Um, and so I just wanted to create a project that I would feel good about. And I knew that it would bring some type of positivity to others who are listening to it as well. Because I think one thing about me is that when I put out a project, I'm not just putting it out for leisure. I've always been somebody that really takes my time with projects. And I, I want to make sure that when I do put it out, it's something that people can connect with um, and that there is a message coming out of it. And so I, I, from what I've, the feedback I've gotten, I think that it, it's sticking and that it, it makes a lot of sense and it is connecting. And I think that it's timely um, and it, it's, it came out at, it, at the right time. You know, sometimes we try to rush things so that we can have music out always. But I think that when it's a, when it's quality, um, it, it can stretch a little bit. So that's kind of how I got to Never Enough Time. And let me correct myself, because I call your project Risk It All, which is the song from Never Enough Time. But the album project um, is called Never Enough Time. So I want to make sure I get that distinction right for folks who are listening. And so. I will say that the thing that stands out to me the most in in watching and observing all that you've put into Never Enough Time is that 
you look like you're having so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, I love your rollout for um, Mimosa and the video mm-hmm. and all of that. Like it just seemed like you were really enjoying the process, and that made me feel mm-hmm. good watching you enjoy making your work. You know, I think that's just it's one of those things that becomes. Um, just like infectious. Like when you see someone having a good time, then you enjoy them having a good time. So especially when it comes to the the visual side of, of what you were creating for never never enough time. Talk about the process of, of making uh the videos and the energy that you were trying to um put out into the world. Yes. So I think the sort of birth of never enough time, I didn't even have the, the title yet, but I would say it definitely started with Mimosa because I felt like a lot of the R&B I was hearing, like we love the heartbreak, but I was thinking about, you know, what is a song that they can listen to and they don't have to worry about, you know, just feeling overwhelmed with sadness and all the things that are going wrong. And I thought about, you know, Mimosa and I thought about uh, Sunday brunch and how, you know, especially like, I guess, well, it's a Southern thing for sure, but I, I was thinking about Black women and how we go to Sunday brunch and we get cute and we just have a good time and we don't think about, you know, the week that's coming. We just, we're just really living in the moment. And so I wanted to give them a little soundtrack to be able to enjoy their Sunday brunch and feel confident and feel spontaneous because I sometimes feel like we do wait until the weekend to be able to really be ourselves and unwind. And I, I wanted to shake it up and say, well, what if you was you were yourself, you know, on a Tuesday or, you know, any other day of the week outside of Sunday. And so I think that spirit and that energy just sort of translated over to never enough time. And I knew that it had to be on the project because that's where this whole new sort of Somalia positive thinking like has sort of come from. Um, and so, and thinking about visuals and, you know, and rollout, there was a lot of factors in place because this was a pandemic. Luckily, I had put out, I had already um, taped the Mimosa music video. I filmed it in February. So that was sort of already packaged and ready to go. But in terms of rollout, it was like, okay, how do, how do I still make sure that, you know, it's still exciting and during this time where, there, I mean, it was really early pandemic. So people really didn't understand. There was a lot of unknowns. Um, but what I did want to do was be able to still have people recognize, you know, connect the single to the video and still be able to say that this is what Somalia is, you know, sort of pushing out. So with that, it was a lot of just kind of dropping teasers here and there. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it wasn't specifically just the video, but it was just like certain things about the, you know, the video that I could use, like specifically the mimosa and being like, you know, what are you doing this weekend? Are you, you know, going, we're well, not going anywhere, but, you know, what are you doing specifically at home, like to make yourself feel amazing or, or spontaneous during this time when we don't really know what's happening? Um, and, and, and I also love being outside and just, you know, because that was a little bit of time that we do, we may have been able to have for ourselves. Um, and so that's why on the cover, I'm like in a field um, because I don't have to be, have a mask on. Nobody's around me. It's it's just me. And I was just thinking about, you know, what does that feel like? And so with the, the cover and the look, I just wanted it to feel 
just really free and um, colorful because that's kind of how I am. If you see me on a regular day, I'm I'm always colorful. Uh, and I feel like people were able to get that energy just from looking at the visuals and uh, looking at the the cover art and all the images that were associated with the project. What has this year been like for you creatively? Like what's sort of just been in your spirit, if you will, in terms of how you're approaching the world, writing, singing, just being a creative person in the world. What has this year been like for you as someone sort of taking in and reflecting emotions and in your art? Being totally transparent, I think it's been a emotional roller coaster. Because I think, like I said, I had already, you know, recorded Mimosa stuff pretty much before uh, the pandemic had really hit. And so I was really excited about that. And then at the same time, it was like losing gigs left and right. And though, you know, I'm also an arts administrator and I work for arts organizations, um, you know, performing, that's, that's my, my passion, you know, that's it's 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 also my career and that's you know what I do and so it was sort of trying to balance like you know being showing up every day like on my job but also being able to show up for myself like music wise and I felt this pressure in the beginning to create because everyone was saying well you're at home this is the time to create a project or this is the time to you know do all of those things on your to-do list that you wanted to do that you never got to and I felt that pressure to do that but it was like nothing was happening like I just didn't what I was writing didn't make sense I was trying to figure out well if I do a project how am I going to fund it what is that you know this summer I was supposed to make you know be able to expand and some gigs I had been trying to book for a long time that I was looking forward to doing and it was really just I think an emotional roller coaster because it was like I knew what I wanted to do but I just the the path seemed really foggy and unclear. And I think when I took the pressure off of myself of trying to create something, that's when I just naturally started to write more and I started to just connect the dots. And so it was a lot of just having to show up for myself, I think. And, I, and honestly, I think that's what this year has taught me the most. It's, you know, regardless of, of, of what's happening in the world and you know, I, I feel all of those things because, you know, as a creative, I'm very emotional. I'm very attached to people um, and, and seeing everything that, that's happened in the world, even with the pandemic and, and, and Black Lives Matter. I, I felt and I saw all of those things and I just allowed myself to slowly but surely tap in and, and write about them. Um, and I just really wanted to be intentional. I thought if I put out a project this year, it's going to be intentional. It's going to be speaking to all of the things that I've seen and that I feel, whether that's joy, sadness, um, I guess empathy, 
I just wanted to be able to put all of that into just a small bit of something because it's hard to be able to just put it in one project, but I just wanted to have just little bits and pieces of what this year has meant to me. Um, and so I just, I just sort of pushed through like, a, like a lot of people have had to do, um, and just allowed myself to just move at my own pace and, and to give myself grace. And so, you know, if the project came out in October, you know, cause that was, that was my goal. That was excellent. But I, I think I was just more so, I guess, just really humbled and felt so much gratitude for even making it, I guess, this far. You mentioned showing up for yourself as, as something that was really important to you over this last year. But even prior to that, or maybe even including that, I'm I'm always curious about the decisions that artists make because so many of um, career outcomes are shaped by big decisions and small decisions and sometimes those decisions that may seem sort of um, inconsequential in the moment become bigger down the line. So I'm wondering as you think through your journey, um, going back to that word, what are some of your favorite decisions that you think have helped you get to where you are right now? Yes. I think one of the biggest decisions I made that really changed my thinking and outlook was going to study abroad in London because I, you know, I'm pretty much from Atlanta. I was born in New Jersey, but I grew up in Stone Mountain, Lithonia area. And I stayed here. You know, I, I think the music scene in Atlanta is amazing. And I decided to go to Spelman. And I hadn't had the experience of just being on my own and, you know, let alone out of the country. And it was my first time going out of the country. And I was by myself. You know, I went with basically strangers, you know, from other schools. But I was really on my own. And I felt like it was my first time just sort of declaring my independency uh, and showing people that I can do it, you know, that I can go to a whole, you know, in other country and figure it out. And I was just really inspired by, you know, the other artists that I met while I was there, you know, students weren't just students, like they were doing their music, they were booking shows, some of them were signed to labels and they were just at this school, you know, getting their degree. And I just felt that, again, that ambition. When I came back to Georgia, I was like, I can do anything. The possibilities are, are endless. That's literally how I felt. And so I think that was definitely a really big step for me um, and, and changed my artistry a lot. Uh, I think the next is where it's a constant, it's a decision that I decide to make of every, almost every other day now. And that's like just investing in myself. Because I think in the beginning of my career, you know, my family was helping me out a lot. Uh, and that meant that, you know, a lot of opinions and, you know, transition, transition sort of just had to happen where I would be able to say more about what it is that I wanted to do. And I knew that that would come with financial independency. And so that meant knowing that if I want to do a video, I need to save my money to be able to put it towards that because I'm indie. Um, or if I'm going to put a project together that's really setting aside a budget to be able to know 
this is how much, you know, production is going to cost. This is how much the graphics are going to cost. And I think it, with investing in myself constantly, I'm able to see more work being produced that I actually, you know, I recognize and that I associate myself with because I know that this was something that I had all, my hands in all over the, you know, project. Um, and so I would say, honestly, those are, I guess, probably the two biggest decisions that I've made that I feel like has sort of altered my journey because if I wouldn't have went abroad, um, I feel like I wouldn't have had that, I would not have had that independency to feel like I can really take my career into my own hands. And then knowing that I should invest in myself, that made me continue to produce projects and not just lean on other people to be able to um, put my art together. But I knew that if I budget, if I take this seriously, then that means that I have to put money into my career if I want to go anywhere. And, and unfortunately, I mean, music industry is a lot of, you know, you got to put money into, it's it's almost pay to play for a lot of things. But I'm really grateful for the, the work that I've been able to in, invest in to be able to create where a lot of opportunities have just come to me because people like the work. Well, as we wrap up, um, I would love for you to maybe speak to the audience who's listening. Um, some of them may be hearing you for the first time. And yes, I would love for you to maybe talk through the intention behind your music or I guess what you want people to take away from your music or how you want them to to know you as an artist. Like, could you maybe give some some intention behind um, who you want people to to see you as as Somalia? Yes, that's a large question, Floyd. Hard as a city because it changes; it constantly changes. But I think for me, I really want people to associate my music and I guess just my brand in general with just love and authenticity. Uh, I really want people to just be able to see my work and say like, I feel like I know her. Um, and I feel like if you're, you know, on my Instagram or my Facebook page, like you just, it's just a big circle. You're just seeing the connections, whether it's, you know, my hobbies outside of music or it's, um, you know, my family or it's, specifically talking about how I came up with a, a certain song. I just want people to be able to recognize that she's a real person. I never, my intentions are never to put on a, you know, to have a persona. That's why I don't have a, like an artist name, really. My name, my real name is my artist name because I just feel like my myself, me as an artist is me in real life. And I want people to be able to um, see that comparison and, and and feel that when they hear my music and when they listen to interviews or see my visuals that it's it's all one person um and when i'm creating music uh i have that in mind uh i don't put too much pressure on it but i do have that in mind because um, i want people to be able to relate to it and i want people to be able to connect to what it is that i'm saying um so yeah i guess that's what i would say in terms of connecting with me and what I want people to sort of take from the music. 
singer, songwriter, Somalia. The EP is entitled Never Enough Time, and there's never enough time to talk to you. Somalia, thank you for your time. I really appreciate everything. Thank you so much, Floyd. I appreciate you for making the space and time to bring on an indie artist and talk about my life. (laughs) 